Welcome, everybody, to our ongoing nightclub interview series, where my guest today is my dear friend, the lucid dreaming author and nightmare expert, Dr. Claire Johnson. We had such a rich time talking about her latest book, The Art of Transforming Nightmares, where Claire provocatively talks about nightmares as essentially gifts in ugly wrapping paper. And learning how to unpack these gifts is the first part in transforming them. This approach is completely resonant with the tantric and alchemical views where obstacles are opportunities in disguise. We talk about what causes nightmares, how to work with them at relative and absolute levels, the essence of nightmare principles, and how nightmares really can wake us up spiritually. The real jewel of this book are all the practical exercises behind it, and Claire shares many of her favorite ones. The book essentially is about fear and how we can follow our fear really into authentic, genuine growth. Not only can we rescript a nightmare, we can rescript the very egoic processes that give rise to all nightmares itself, including samsara. So what we discuss here fundamentally is the deepest kind of right view behind nightmares. Conjoining right view with these practical exercises, this conversation will leave you with all manner of tips and tricks you can use right away to bring unwanted dreams onto the path. Welcome, everybody. Andrew Holacek here for our ongoing nightclub interview series. And um, I'm especially delighted today to talk to one of my dear advisors, friends in the lucid dreaming community, um, Dr. Claire Johnson, who I quite assuredly now refer to as the queen of lucidity. Um, and you'll see <laughs> why when, when we talk about our most uh, recent and quite remarkable book. But as usual, I'm going to do the briefest um, formal introduction, and then we're just going to jump right in. So Claire Johnson, PhD, is past president and CEO of the International Association for the Study of Dreams. A lifelong frequent lucid dreamer, Claire has over 40 years of personal lucid dream experience. In 2007, she became the first person in the world to do a PhD on lucid dreaming as a creative writing tool. She has researched lucid dreaming for over 20 years, over 25 years. And for the past 16 years, she has taught practical courses on how to access the deep creative and healing potential of the unconscious. And the rest of her remarkable uh, bio we will post with this interview. But um, thank you so much, dear Claire, for taking time out of your really busy schedule to hang with us a little bit. So great to have you around for a second interview. I'm super psyched. Oh, thank you, Andrew. It's always such a joy to talk to you. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I'm very happy to be here. It's uh, it's just wonderful to connect with you again. Yeah, likewise, likewise. And, and I want to share, on a, start on a slightly personal note, um, how important Claire has been in my own dream life, in addition to reading her most remarkable books. I had a, a really powerful dream back, I think it was December, when there was that unique confluence, this astrological confluence of all these planets coming into alignment. And that very night, I had a really intense, it wasn't a nightmare, but it was just a very charged dream in, in Southern California, which is where at that point COVID was just going ballistic. And it was, it was all about um, ICU units and there wasn't enough critical care kind of things. 
and the dream was so impactful that that um, I actually woke up from the dream, did something I hadn't done before, which was um, kind of incubate a second dream to help me understand the first dream. And the second dream was a lucid one. And, and part of the message of the, the second one was um, ask your dream advisors for some help. And so first person that came to mind was, I'm going to ask my dear friend, Claire. And so I wrote to Claire um, about this dream. And she was extremely generous and kind to respond immediately with an incredibly insightful kind of uh, interpretation analysis that was just absolutely spot on. So thank you once again for helping me unpack that. I was so close to that dream. I, in, a, in a way, I couldn't see it. And the fact that you were, what, maybe 8,000 miles away, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You had a new perspective that was extraordinarily helpful. So I'm very grateful for that. Oh, you're so welcome. Happy to help. <laughs> yeah. But what we want to focus on today is um, Claire's most amazing recent book, The Art of Trans uh, Transforming Nightmares, um, Harness the Creative and Healing Power of Bad Dreams, Sleep Paralysis, and Recurring Nightmares. And I was really uh, blown away by this book, Claire. And, and I immediately thought, of uh, the etymology of the word guru, um, which literally comes from roots. The, the root gu means darkness and, and ru means like destroyer or illuminator. And so I said, oh my, oh my gosh, here's Claire. She's <laughs> the, the darkness destroyer. She's uh, uh, the one who brings, you know, the lucid dreaming guru who brings light into the darkness of these nightmares. And so there's so much I want to talk to you about with this book, because not only does it provide, and, and, and let me say the greatest gift for me, Claire, is that it really situated the extraordinary power of um, nightmares. And it's completely resonant with Buddhist approaches where they talk about the uh, unbelievable power and importance of right view. In fact, in the Eightfold Noble Path, that the Buddha articulated that leads to enlightenment. The first of these eight factors is in fact called right view. And so I, when I read your book, I said, oh my gosh, this is absolutely the right view for how to work with these nightmares. And by that, what I mean, and let me just say a teeny bit, and then we're gonna jump right in and throw it into your court, is that I found your book actually highly tantric in nature. And, and by that, what I mean is that one of the essence um, or the spirit of Tantra, similar to the alchemical traditions, is transforming lead into gold, transforming obstacle into opportunity. And this was really the genius of this book, that, that in a completely Tantric way, you dove right into one of the darkest arenas of the human condition, which is the nightmare. And using an incredibly skillful body of personal experience or rigorous research, and then extensive communication with uh, nightmare sufferers around the world, you unfold for us, I think the most compelling illuminating way to relate to nightmares. And I love what you say several times in the book, I thought it's just so spot on that uh, nightmares are basically a gift and ugly wrapping paper. And so in the most amazing way, you unwrap it and, and you talk about how it is that if we relate to nightmares, properly. In fact, I believe um, this is a quote from your book, the worse the nightmare, the greater the transformative potential. This is totally a tantric maxim 
that the greater the obstacle, the greater the opportunity. Trung um, one of my main teachers says, you know, chaos should be regarded as extremely good news. And so with this as a, a little bit of a preparatory set of comments, let's jump into this most amazing topic, um, nightmares. And um, first of all, what inspired you? Let's start, let's start very foundationally before we go to the deeper end of the pool. What inspired yeah. you to um, undertake such a nightmarish project? <laughs> it was actually a really hard book to write. <laughs> yeah, because uh, I was flooded with people's nightmares from all over the globe and, uh, you know, had to kind of, as you say, sort of sort of pour them into the book and do them justice. But um, really, I would say that uh, the start of this book uh, was from my very early childhood. My very first memory is of a nightmare where I was drowning and I became lucid in that dream just for a moment, realized that I could wake myself up from this nightmare of drowning, uh, ended up uh, falling out of bed. And then my mother said to me, it was just a dream, it wasn't real. Uh, and that, that really changed my whole life, that really early memory. I was just three years old um, because it, it showed me um, that there were these super real experiences, which could also be very scary, very frightening, and they were dismissed as being not real. Um, and that was a strange moment for me in my life. Um, and then I carried on having nightmares, sometimes lucid nightmares, where I felt that, uh, you know, I knew that it was a dream, but I couldn't wake myself up. Uh, other situations where I was very scared because there was this huge vibration going on around me. Of course, I had no idea about out-of-body experiences and that that's often the onset to these. So this is all during very early childhood, aged around seven or eight. I used to have these vibrations and then fly up out over the house uh, and turn them into amazing lucid dreams. I just had to teach myself um, to, to cope with all these strange experiences with no one able to advise me. So in a very real way, I had to um, figure it all out for myself um, and, and, and find these, these resources just by trial and error, work out how to deal with this extreme fear that I would sometimes feel in these states. Um, and then I had loads of sleep paralysis experiences when I was around 20, pretty much every night, uh, where I would feel that I was being shoved around in the darkness by invisible entities. And I, at first I would struggle and I was frightened. And of course it got worse because it's a thought responsive environment, you know. Um, and, and so eventually with that, I taught myself a form of yoga nidra. I didn't know then what yoga nidra was, uh, but I taught myself to relax and calm down and breathe. And then uh, I imagined this beautiful space opening up before me and effortlessly lucid, I would then enter that incredible dream space. So I was basically practicing wake-induced lucid dreaming. Mm -hmm. um, so I had all of those kinds of experiences, uh, then ended up doing the PhD on lucid dreaming and all of that. But I found that people would write to me all the time, really upset because they were having uh, debilitating nightmares. Um, some people actually 
get to the point where they don't want to live because their nightmares are so awful and they're destroying their night of sleep and they don't know what to do. And of course, if you wake up exhausted, you get into a really negative cycle um, because you're exhausted, can't cope with the usual pressures of life, uh, become anxious, depressed, go back to sleep, have the nightmares again. Of course, you know, it just becomes this vicious circle. So I was contacted a lot by people in that uh, difficult situation. Also, people who were terrified of out-of-body um, out experiences, thinking they were going to die when they left their body, um, people stuck in sleep paralysis, um, experiencing uh, terrible, terrifying attacks in sleep paralysis states, uh, people in nightmares where they were lucid, they knew it was a dream but couldn't wake themselves up, didn't know how to change things around. And I just suddenly realised you know what, instead of writing back to all these people individually, which was what I was doing, I thought I've just got to get it all into a book and make it a really, really super practical book uh, that's actually going to help people so that I can direct them towards this and know that it's got all my best knowledge and you know everything that I've learned painstakingly over the years on my own journey and everything I've learned from helping other people with their nightmare stories I'm just going to put it into that book um, in the hope of helping people so that's that's how the book happened just responding really to all of those people oh I have no doubt it's going to be and I'm, I'm sure it already is it's just a monumental benefit there's one of the great gifts for me as I alluded to it in the intro is the the marvelous juxtaposition of, of um, so-called theory overview with just an intense, beautiful array of super practical um, exercises, practices, which what I, I want to get to in just a little bit. But let's let's start, Claire, with um, giving you the floor to unpack and say more about, in fact, the the right view, so to speak, of relating to nightmares. Um, talk to us a little bit about how nightmares really are, if they're viewed properly truly are um, opportunities in disguise. And, and that, you know, they're, they're venues where we can bring about levels of transformation and healing directly proportional, in fact, to the intensity of the nightmare itself. So talk to us a little bit more about that because that in itself yeah. is a monumental contribution to this um, yeah okay yeah thank you yes yeah, so, well you know the main question that I would get about nightmares was how do I stop them and I thought it's interesting that that's all anyone thinks about they don't say to me Claire what can my nightmares teach me <laughs> but uh, in fact when we shine a light on our nightmares we gain insight wholeness healing empathy spiritual growth and compassion and these are all things we need in order to live a happier, more fulfilled life and be of service to others. Because when we're in touch with ourselves, we can help others much more. Nightmares have incredible transformative energy. And so we, we really need to kind of face the nightmares and unwrap them because they are gifts. And it's, um, it's very difficult for people to understand this because they feel un they feel attacked by their nightmares. And I completely understand that myself because I've been there, but I found, and I've seen in my work, that really the most empowering thing that anyone can do is to work with this nightmare, with a therapist, if it's a really terrible one, or with a trusted friend, 
but work with it, unpack it, unwrap its meaning, because nightmares are like red flags. They pop up to say, hey, there's something here you haven't dealt with yet. There's an issue here that needs addressing. Your attention is needed right here, right now. And so if we ignore the nightmares, um, you know, they don't go away. They'll come back in a different form. Some people have recurring nightmares um, that recur over, you know, 30 or 40 or 50 years of their life, believe it or not. Um, and they've never tried to unpack the nightmare and find out what it's really saying, or else they think they know what it's about and they just don't want it and they repress it and push it down. So it's this kind of fear-based reaction that actually doesn't get us anywhere in the end. It's much better to face our fears because often it's so much easier than we ever dreamed it would be. When we actually face the fears, they're smaller than we thought, or we see a way out. Nightmares often offer us solutions as well. And the most empowering thing that I have noticed in my work with people suffering from recurring traumatic nightmares or relentless anxiety dreams is to let them know they have options. They don't have to suffer and feel victimized and distraught every night. They can change their dream life. And that's why um, I've come up with a load of techniques to help people to do this, to change their dream life, to empower themselves. Uh, and I think a question that it's always good to ask yourself is who are you when you dream? You know, how do you react in your dream? Are you an empowered dreamer? Are you highly aware or are you vulnerable? Do you get chased? Do you get killed or attacked in your dreams? Are you fearful? What's your common response to these fearful situations? You know, how do you react to fear in a nightmare? Do you flee or fight or freeze or wake up or become lucid? So it's very important to see the kind of dreamer that you currently are, but not to get worried if you're not empowered currently, because you can change that. That's the beauty of doing the nightmare work. Uh, it's incredibly transformative because nightmares are so, so powerful. So when we actually, you know, pluck up our courage and engage with them and work with them, we are unleashing so much more energy. We're freeing up energy for ourselves and we empower ourselves, not only in the sleep and dream state, but in our waking lives as well. And that is a, a true gift that we can get from nightmares. Yeah, well, that's really well said. And I love what you said at the outset that you, you, know, you, you are able to shine light upon these nightmares. And, and what immediately came yeah. to mind is, is that in so doing, you actually then come to reveal the light that's actually within them. That that yeah. if we um, look at things properly, this is actually these opportunities are tucked deeply within. And and the other thing that came to mind here that I really enjoy what you said here, Claire, is mm. is how it is that in a very real way this level of uh, empowerment in my languaging it's it's a little bit you know using political jargon. It's a, a peaceful transfer of power back to its yeah. rightful source. Because if, if we don't understand, again, if we have a wrong view, we unwittingly imbue, confer, uh, project power onto these nightmares that is not inherent within them. And therefore, then that power comes back to create, in fact, what we deem to be the nightmare situation altogether. So I, I, I yeah. really love this notion that it's a transfer of power back to its rightful source, which is us. 
And therefore we, we learn how to take ownership, responsibility, and see these events um, for the gifts that they really are. And, and also in the languaging of, of the Vajrayana, the Tantra, I wanted to read a line from your book and then um, comment a little bit about it and then mm -hmm. have you run with it, where you say, um, quote, nightmares reach out forcefully to show us that we need to make changes in our lives and deepen our connection with our inner light, um, end quote. And what this came up, brought up for me is that in the Vajrayana Tantra traditions, they talk about uh, wrathful forms of liberation. It's actually a family of practices that allow one to bring, again, armed with the right view, uh, which again is the great gift of your book, um, create kind of a spirit of warriorship, of bravery, of courage, armed with this right view to realize the processes, the phenomenology of what these dreams actually are. And then in fact, armed with that to go directly into that which we would normally flee and, and therefore um, avail ourselves of, of transformative opportunities that are absolutely priceless. So talk to us a little bit yeah. more, if you would, about, about that, how these with these nightmares when seen in this proper light can in fact be talked about as, as wrathful, semi-forceful methods of liberation, you know, kind of red yeah. screaming out for attention. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, one, one example I can give um, is, is what can happen when we become lucid in a nightmare, because when we train ourselves, you know, if we, if we can manage to say to ourselves, the next time I feel fearful, I will recognize that I am dreaming. Then we can actually wake ourselves up. We can use it as a lucidity trigger to wake ourselves up within the bad dream that comes along. And so um, one example of, of what lucidity can do, uh, this was uh, one of the dreamers in the art of transforming nightmares. And she, uh, she saw a shadowy figure in her lucid dream. She was very scared looking at the face of this shadowy figure because it was a kind of creature. It was human-like creature, but with really long mangled up hair and it was all crouched down, hunched in a corner of the room and there was no light to see. And this creature had its face against the wall. And this was an experienced lucid dreamer but she said it took everything she had to walk up to this being because it was just so scary. And then as she approached, the figure turned around and faced her. Mm. And she said she looked at the face and it was pure, brilliant, bright light. Mm. And its beauty was incredibly humbling and overwhelming. And she, she was just so astonished by the beauty. Uh, and, and she woke up feeling very powerful and um, she had basically faced what, what I call the luminous shadow. Yeah. You know, when, when we courageously face the darkness in whatever form it takes, and it's bound to take the form that is the most scary for us personally, if we can face that, we can be gifted with the truth. You know, this blazing light shines out and, and that's what we are all made of. We're made of this incredible light. Um, and this is what I call the lucid light, which I go into uh, deeply in Llewellyn's complete book of lucid dreaming. And my feeling really is from my own encounters that this is the light of the soul. It's, this is what we are, the essence of all that we are. And so we can encounter this when we actually face 
these, these fearful beings or creatures or people or shadowy figures in our nightmares. Uh, and that's a beautiful thing. It's very transformative. Um, again, as I say, we then free up energy to do other things with. <laughs> we free up spiritual energy. Um, we, we ease our path uh, into spiritual dimensions because we're, we're bravely facing things that we actually really don't wanna face, things that terrify the ego self. When we can bypass that, face these fears with courage, wow, it, it frees you up so much on every level. Uh, and you feel that in all areas of your life. So that's how we can uh, face nightmares through lucid dreaming. But of course, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I can't get, I can't get lucid, it's too difficult for me, or, or this, this nightmare is so strong that I just wake up immediately sweating and, or screaming and, and I don't know what to do. And so that's why I also have, um, have come up with, with different practical ways of feeling protected, um, going into sleep in a safe way, uh, practicing um, calmness in yoga nidra type states of consciousness, uh, and also doing practical exercises where we go back into the nightmare, mentally re-enter it, and then have all these options for changing the nightmare, changing our nightmare responses that we can play out in our mind's eye. And some people, if you talk to them about this, they think, ah, oh, but then it's not, you know, it can't be that powerful because it's just you're just making it up. But it is super powerful. It's, it's a rehearsal. You're basically doing uh, well, what I call lucid dream play, which is when you work and play with a dream in ways that mirror the possibilities of lucid dreaming. And this is a powerful rehearsal that can feel super real on the on the physical and emotional level and it's sort of it's, it's a way of saying to our mind this is not the only response you know we're showing our mind you don't have to react with fear you don't have to run away you can change your direction you can actually become empowered in that situation you can call for help or you can send love and light you can gift yourself with superpowers or Hug the monster, whatever feels right, or protect yourself with a protective shield of light. All of these things and so many more options uh, can really help us. So when we do nightmare work, it's important to understand on deep levels that we can change our response. And that itself can be empowering also in waking life. Um, I actually do exercises with, um, with people in my groups where we take a, a, a current waking life situation that, that we're really unhappy about uh, or that we feel we're not responding to properly and we work with it in the same way as if it were a nightmare to change our response. And it's just so easy but so illuminating. You know, it's quite astonishing how much we can change when we just put our mind to it. Isn't it? Yeah, and, and I want to really put an exclamation point on, on one thing you were talking about here, Claire, a little bit, and that is that really in, in so many ways, your entire book, and you mentioned this, circumambulates what is um, one of the most absolute important topics for me in the psycho-spiritual business, which is, of course, fear, that mm. really everything in Nightmare is just a, a way to work with this absolutely foundational aspect of, um, in Eastern language, you know, the samsaric condition, everything is, is actually and the relative samsaric world is um, built and constructed on this 
basis of fear. And so what you said here that is, I think, so important, again, reinstating the power of you, mm-hmm. is that nightmares as ways to work with fear allow us to transform um, our relationship to fear altogether and use it when you're talking about the lucid light. I thought that was brilliant, pardon the pun, where <laughs> you use fear as a, as a kind of toll. You know, in, in, um, I'm always interested in word origins and the like, and you probably know that the actual root of the word fear etymologically comes from a word that means fair, F-A-R-E as in toll. And so in a very real way with the right view, we can actually see fear as embodied in nightmares as, as a kind of toll, a price that we have to pay yeah. to approach the lucid light that's actually held within. And so again, if we have that right view, talk about transforming obstacle into opportunity, we can, we can therefore counterbalance, and I often talk about this, I'd love to hear how this lands with you. Mm-hmm. We can counterbalance uh, Joseph Campbell's very famous aphorism, right? Follow your bliss, which I think is completely valid, but also provisionally so. I actually find it more compelling, uh, Claire, and I've lived a large part of my spiritual life following this aphorism, follow mm-hmm. your fear. I mean, if you, yeah. really want, if you really want to grow, go to the places that scare you because fear is a minion of ignorance. Fear is kind of this membrane that surrounds the lucid light. And it's only fearful if we don't understand what it is. And yeah. it really, with a proper lens, it becomes a, the absolute toll, the gate for uh, the most um, profound levels of illumination and transformation. So talk to us That's a little right. bit about that. Yeah, I mean, we can actively face our fears through through either lucid dream play, working with a dream while we're awake, um, or through lucid dreaming. Uh, one woman, um, she, she got lucid in a dream, and she said, show me something important. And then there was this tunnel that opened up, uh, and inside the tunnel, she, she got sucked down into it, and there was this gruesome, shadowy figure, and she was absolutely terrified. And the dream told her that this was her fear of death. Hmm. And she woke up, and this is almost the worst part of it. She woke up, but she was in sleep paralysis, and this figure was lying beside her in the bed, breathing down her neck. So it carried on being terrifying even after she'd woken up. Now, um, she was very upset by this, but being, you know, a very uh, sort of very practiced lucid dreamer, the next day she decided, okay, I'm going to face this. She fell asleep and she went back into that dream. And again, she was dragged down into the tunnel. But this time, instead of fighting and feeling terror, she just accepted it. And the moment that she accepted being pulled down towards this scary figure, she suddenly was elevated up into luminous clouds and bathed in golden light. And every cell in her body vibrated with pure ecstatic bliss. So that was another kind of a a very, very transformational thing where you come out of something like that and you understand, okay, so death does not have to be frightening. Death is pure light. You know, death is returning to that, to that, blissful vibration <laughs> that we all have within us, but that we we somehow manage to forget or get out of touch with. And so that can really transform your fears in a tangible way, because in a lucid dream, you're there, you're actually right there experiencing this. And I often think that when we wake up, 
with every cell in our body vibrating, whether it's with um, this blissful, lucid light experience, or whether it's with healing energy, uh, which also happens, then that's it really shows you that the dream has had its effect on this mm. profound level of your being. Mm. Yeah, that's fantastic. And, and just to, to reinstate even more how important this whole aspect of working with nightmares is in the in the dream yoga tradition uh, one of the classic actual stages of dream yoga slightly more advanced for for reasons that i will mention if you're not in a nightmarish situation in a dream the actual practice in a lucid dream is to create one so it's like mm -hmm. You, you're doing again. You're doing the exact opposite of of what people would normally want to do is is to yeah. run away. In this case, what the dream yoga tradition is saying is, hey, again, hey, you really want to grow, you gotta um, befriend, understand, and then in so doing, transcend this thing called fear. And so, you actually intentionally in a lucid dream create frightful situations as a way to establish as, as you were talking about a, a proper response or a healthy relationship to this thing called fear that we basically spend our entire lives running from. And so I, I keep wanting to come back to this mm -hmm. because it's so important that if people understand what fear is presenting, um, in this case, in the medium of the dream, it is this marvelous, if not uncomfortable opportunity and here you quote this beautiful um, statement from Carl Jung, right? There is no birth of consciousness without pain. And yeah. so here's, here's the birthing. Here's, here's yeah. the birth of, of growth where we can go into these most fearful situations and actually transcend them. And that's what makes this a slightly more advanced practice in dream yoga because it takes an advanced view, an advanced relationship to see this, but this is so important because now when you have these dreams, instead of thinking there's something wrong, you can actually see the dream for what it really is, this wake up call, this, this red flag, this screaming out for healing, holding integration, and therefore transformation. And again, your book is just the most marvelous way to do that. But let's get a little bit practical here. Um, yeah. um, there's so many things to talk about. Let's talk a little bit about, and in some ways you're hinting at this, talk to us about some of the more um, kind of classic reasons for nightmares. Uh, you cover this in such detail. There's so much in your book, but I, I do want for our listeners for you to talk a little bit about some of the more classic causes of nightmares. Um, and then I want to transition into a discussion about nightmare principle. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so, um, well, studies have shown that nightmares are very much linked to stress in our waking lives, which, you know, I mean, I think everybody knows this, <laughs> uh, but uh, it's certainly been shown that if we are under stress, we're more likely to, to have nightmares. This is because, you know, the, the function of dreams as well is to, it is actually to heal us on all levels. And so if you can imagine um, a nightmare is a little bit like uh, a volcano because you've got this pressure building up, emotional pressure or some sort of upset in our lives and it needs to come out. And so a nightmare is a way of releasing emotions that are too strong for us, emotions that we have been perhaps suppressing during the day or we haven't given enough time or attention to them. And so the nightmare will, will release some of that energy and that has a healing function within itself. Um, 
So that's one of the, the purposes of nightmares. And nightmares often are linked as well to, uh, to past trauma. You know, you, you would have heard of, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder. If someone's had a very, very um, upsetting event in their life or series of events, then often that is linked to recurring traumatic nightmares. And so that's where I would say as well, from a, a therapist's perspective, some nightmares should not be faced alone. Yes, you know, it's a, it's a kind of higher lucidity practice to uh, invite um, situations of fear and go into the fear, but for some people um, that could risk re-traumatizing them. So it's good for them never to, to work alone and unprotected on a very strong nightmare, which they, they know is related to a past trauma. Best to find a therapist who specializes in dream work um, and take it easy. You know, it's, it can be a, a slow, gentle unfolding path. Um, because, you know, I mean, I hear from people who have uh, had really, really uh, tough past situations, and that just needs a, a gentler approach. Uh, so it's good to consider that as well. But you know, the experience, uh, the practices that are in uh, the art of transforming nightmares, they 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 can be very good as well for people who have had uh, intense past trauma. Uh, and again, it's just this way of, of unwrapping the dream, working out what it's about, because sometimes we don't know. Sometimes we push these past situations down so hard because we're not ready to face them, uh, that we don't know why we're having the nightmares until we unwrap them. But again, we can empower ourselves when we work with these nightmares. There's an amazing technique called imagery rehearsal therapy. And um, this is, sounds very simple again, but all you do is you, you give your nightmare a different ending. You actually change the direction of the nightmare and you write down the different ending and then you rehearse that new ending for 15 minutes every day. And again, that's just a way of training the mind to understand you don't have to fall into that same groove of repeating this nightmare. You can go in a different direction. And that can be helpful, helpful even to people who have suffered intense trauma and who are reliving that exact traumatic situation in their nightmares every night. Um, and, and one other technique which is very good is um, lucid writing. This is one I came up with when I was doing the PhD on lucid dreaming as a creative tool. I thought it was just a creative tool, right? But um, when I started teaching it in international workshops, I quickly saw that people were healing nightmares from it, changing um, very ancient sort of patterns of behavior that they'd uh, been engaged with for far too long and having these transformational experiences. And uh, I had a, a private session once with a woman who, who said she was waking up 10 times a night with the same nightmare. And it was a trauma-based nightmare of being chased by a horrible man and trying to hide. And she could, she could never hide. Or every time she hid, he, you know, he would find her and then she'd wake up at the moment of greatest fear. And that's part of the problem with nightmares is we woke up at the, the moment of greatest fear. So we never get a chance to carry the nightmare story onward in order to change it. So we did lucid writing together uh, with this lady. And for the very first time, feeling safe, going back into that nightmare, she was able to come out of the hiding place and stand up to this horrible man. And she said, stop, you should not be doing this. That's all she said, but he stopped, uh, he went away. 
And she came out of the lucid writing exercise just feeling like something major had happened uh, because she had finally been able to tell him that he should not be doing this. She had stood up for that victimized part of herself, having been in violent relationships all her life as a child and then in her adult relationships as well. And so when we take that step to empower ourselves, uh, in, in a waking life, uh, dream re-entry, or in a lucid dream, it makes actual change in our lives. After that, she didn't get that nightmare again. She had told the nightmare effectively, no, this is not happening anymore. You shouldn't be doing this, and I am telling you to stop. And that's, uh, it's very, very empowering to be able to do that. So we can change things. We really can. Yeah. It's scary, but, uh, you know, it's, it's good to do it, but with someone if you need that extra support. Yeah, that's really beautiful. I, I, a couple of things come to mind here, Claire. One is a rather um, playful story that I heard from Dr. Nida. You know, you may know his work. He, he, he's a wonderful Tibetan physician uh-huh. who actually teaches very beautifully and, and extensively on uh, Tibetan dream yoga. And he shared, he shared this amazing story. Um, I can't remember if it was his personal dream. It may have been, or maybe he was sharing it from someone else. That's not clear to me, but the, the story was the following, that this person was having a recurrent nightmare and this particular entity was chasing him. And after at a certain point, you know, he, he had enough lucidity where he actually stopped, turned around, faced the, the, the person that, or the entity that was chasing him and said point blank, why are you chasing me? Yeah. And the entity um, said, I don't know, this is your dream. exactly i I thought it was like bloody perfect but i want to return to one thing i think is really important that you were hinting at here claire and that is that like my dear friend david loy um has written an entire book the world is made of stories and Mm -hmm. to me that's actually what ego is ego is a construct it's a script it's a storyline and in fact parenthetically you mentioned something about death well, death is only the end if you think the story is about you. So what you're talking about is, is actually the power of rescripting. There, if you actually understand that the ego, in fact, is nothing more than that narrative, that you can therefore, like you say, you can change that, you can rescript it. And, and I would actually say a large part of psychological and spiritual work at at, at somewhat inter, um, beginning and intermediate levels is in fact this um, rescripting, changing the narrative from, from a bad story to a good story. And then eventually the fruition being no story. In other words, coming to a more advanced level where you don't script at all. Um, in other words, you're simply living moment to moment without this ongoing narrative. So yeah. I think what you're saying there is incredibly practical because it ties in to these deep structures of what actually constitutes the, the structure of the self-sense, the ego altogether, yeah. which is in fact this, this scripting. And so why not? Why not rescript it and doing it during yeah. the day and then feeding that into the nighttime and then rescripting the ending um, yeah. is an extraordinarily powerful way to work with the sort of Yeah, thing. and it's it's really integral to, to living a lucid life. And I think it's super important as well to be aware of the thoughts that we are creating, the scenarios we constantly revisit, and just watch the way they play out in our lives. I mean, it's 
Uh, so often when we do this um, lucid dream play work, someone will, will sort of look up at the end of the session and say, oh my goodness, I've just realized that I have been creating this fear or I have been perpetuating this behavior in my life. You know, they've suddenly had this realization that they're constantly replaying the same scenes in their head and uh, allowing those scenes to take on power. So if we actually bring our lucid awareness to the thoughts that we think as we are thinking them during the day, as we're going about our lives, interacting with people, and if we notice when we're thinking something mean or negative or or goes in a direction that's not helpful for, for us or for anyone else, then we have to be lucid, you know, wake up to that moment and think, well, no, I'm, I'm actually not going to think like that anymore. Yeah. And then we can change the direction of our thoughts. And it is astounding how powerful it is to do that. It's exactly like... Uh, changing a nightmare when you're lucid in the dream you know it's that kind of thing you respond differently why not create a different response you know why go through life um thinking that everyone's against you why don't you you know embrace open up and embrace and and give everyone the benefit of the doubts and see how that changes it will change very fast the moment we change our own energy that is the moment that the energy of the entire situation that we are in changes it's so easy it's like child's play but it <laughs> can be hard to do if we're entrenched in these particular ways of thinking so we have to bring light we have to illuminate these ways of thinking and we can really change our whole life and our relationships just by bringing our attention to our thoughts and changing them in the direction that we want to change them in oh that's so spot on i'm reminded of a famous statement by um James Joyce, you know, where, where he says, history is a nightmare from which I'm trying to awake. Well, if we yeah. unpack that, it's his story, her story is a nightmare mm -hmm. from which I'm trying yeah. to awake. And if we actually realize, again, that we are, we are just this ongoing storyline that we, we script it, yeah. we buy into it, and therefore we are victims of our own narratives. And therefore, this is what, again, this, this harks back to this transfer of power. If we come back and realize that we are the authors of our reality, then, yeah. then we can we can script a different storyline. Um, yeah, we can create a new dream, a better dream. This Absolutely. is a dream. This is a, a collective consensus dream that we're all collectively dreaming. And if we can change ourselves on the inside by doing this healing work, if we can change our thoughts and the directions they go in, if we can engage with more love and compassion with other people my goodness the whole world will change and it yeah. will change fast <laughs> it's fantastic my, my favorite um statement from Tenzin Wangyal Rinpoche I, when I heard this it just smacked me with its with its simplicity and power it, to me it's a seminal teaching where he says this mm -hmm. following maxim he goes this is a dream I am free I can change yeah. that's it it's just an it. amazing thing. And so this is, again, the, yeah. the genius of working with our nighttime dreams to, in fact, where things are a little bit more malleable, fluid. We can yeah. see more directly the empty dreamlike nature of things. But then, like you're saying, lucid dreaming really leads to lucid living. And so then we take yeah. these exact same insights and we start to apply them towards the way we live our daily lives and the dream of the, of the waking condition. 
Yeah, exactly. It all ties in together, you know, because ultimately it is all one. We always talk about the difference between nighttime dreams and and, and uh, waking state and uh, states of um, meditation. But ultimately, it, it's all one. Uh, all of these different, apparently different states of consciousness are all happening simultaneously. And when we understand that, then there's no real difference, in a sense, between what we do in our waking life and what happens in our dreams. And it is all thought responsive. We live in a thought responsive universe. So this is one of the gifts, I think, that lucid dreaming teaches us. In the lucid dream, we see instantly the thought responsive nature of the dream as soon as we think something or intend something or expect something as soon as we have an emotion the dream responds in this kind of beautiful telepathy and uh, and creates we co-create the dream together it's like a beautiful conversation so when we learn about thought responsiveness in the dream state and then apply that to waking life Waking life's a bit of a slower, denser dream because it's consensus reality, but it's still thought responsive. So we can still change our waking reality as well. Yeah. When we have that realization and, and sort of implement it in our lives, that's when things get really exciting. That's when things start to really change in the direction we would love them to change in. Absolutely. And, and really, this, this is a wonderful segue into the deeper dive I wanted to start <clears throat> to work towards this notion of thought responsivity. Mm. I think one reason we can really say that with assuredness is that the nature of reality is in fact mind. It's not matter. Uh, matter is just a, r- a ridiculous, funny way of looking at um, reality. And that the great wisdom traditions say that the fundamental nature of reality itself is heart-mind. It's not made yeah. of matter. It's made of, of mind stuff. And so therefore, what you're saying, again, the, the power of right view, if you understand that, the kind of um, mental aspect of reality, therefore it empowers, and exactly the way you say it, it absolutely empowers our ability to work not only with a nocturnal dream, but the so-called diurnal dream. And so this leads Claire into, into a, a slightly deeper dive mm. that I wanna explore with you about nightmare, um, what I refer to as just nightmare principle altogether. And by this, what I mean is that I think it's when I relate to my own um, previous nightmares, I haven't had nightmares in, in quite a few years, which I'm very um, grateful for. But I, I realize that there are a number of ways that we can work with nightmare um, principle. And one is what we've been talking about here, these incredibly skillful ways of working with nightmares at, at these levels, but I think more foundationally, the the archetypal expression of nightmare for me, and we've been hinting at this, so now I want to be more direct with it, yeah. is the nightmare of reification altogether. In other words, that that's the foundation of the nightmare, taking whatever is arising fundamentally to be real. And so therefore the great gift is I've come to discover it of these nocturnal meditations, especially lucid dreaming and dream yoga, is in fact the gift of de-reification, to look more deeply into the nature of things and in so discovering the dreamlike nature of whatever arises. And so the reason I'm afraid fundamentally of that nightmare in my dream, or in exactly the same way, the reason I'm afraid of that nightmarish boss 
or whatever nightmare situation. Waking life is, is directly proportional to the power that I have conferred unwittingly onto that phenomenal arising through reification, through actually imputing that thing to be real. When in fact, in fact it's not. And therefore, is what you're like what you're alluding to earlier. This is the way we give our power away. We project it onto these objects. And then in classic kind of nightmarish ways, psychological ways, it's like a boomerang. It, that nightmare revive yeah. <laughs> then comes back to whack us in direct proportion to how solidly we take the contents of our mind and reality. So can you talk yeah. a little bit about that in your own practice and your own experience? Yeah, sure. Um, so I absolutely, it's very well said. Um, and, and I think the, the way to, to, to actually recognize the illusion is to go deeper. Uh, in lucid dreams, it's, it's the easiest kind of way of going deeper, I think, <laughs> because when we're in our waking body with our waking lives unfolding around us, it, it can be hard, you know, uh, even if we meditate. But in a lucid dream, we're in this completely all-encompassing uh, other reality, which we recognize to be an illusion. And I love that about a lucid dream because we are so in the here and now, in the actual present moment when we're lucid in a dream, we recognize that it's uh, an illusion on, on some level. And what I do in my, in my own lucid dreams, uh, often I find that when I become lucid and I'm considering the nature of reality, various things happen. So one thing that happens is that the entire dream sort of shakes and falls apart, you know, all the, all the imagery just dissolves, which is great fun. And then I find myself floating in light of any color, could be black luminosity, or it could be golden light, orange light, uh, whatever comes, comes. Um, and then I will find myself um, experiencing myself as this kind of point of consciousness. So I no longer have the lucid dream body that dissolves with all the imagery. And, uh, and then after a while, I don't even have the ego sense of, I am Claire, this point of consciousness. You know, I just, everything dissolves, the ego dissolves. And, and then you have this timeless experience of, of bliss, of absolute pure oneness. Oh, and that's just one of the most incredible experiences because when you come out of that experience, you are completely revitalized and rejuvenated because you've kind of, it's like you've been to the source of yourself um, or the source of the universe. You know, you, you've reconnected, you've recharged yourself uh, on, on this very deep spiritual level. And so that is wonderful, these lucid light experiences. Um, but what I've also found, which I also wanted to mention to you as well, Andrew, I don't know if this fits in with what you were kind of asking me, but I, I wanted to mention that What's been happening for me um, for, well, for quite a few years is that I will spontaneously, upon becoming lucid, I will end up in a white space, um, which I think of as being kind of a white room because it sometimes has furniture in it and it's, uh, it's always white furniture. Everything has to match, it seems. And, and I meet people in these white spaces. It's like a white light space. Um, sometimes these people are deceased. Sometimes they're living and uh, they all are about 20% bigger than regular humans, like really big and vibrant, bursting with life. Um, and they are all 
on a very, very high level of consciousness. And so we have very kind of deep, in-depth conversations about the nature of life, death, reality, the journey of the soul, all these kinds of things. And sometimes there is um, an interesting thing. It's all, I mean, I don't guide or direct or shape anything. It's not a regular lucid dream. Uh, It's like a kind of a meeting room, a meeting space. Uh, And and sometimes they will transfer uh, something to me. Like in one of these uh, white rooms, um, there was a woman singing an incredible song, like an amazing song that seemed to really resonate with my whole soul. It just felt incredible. And I watched her singing and uh, she came towards me and stood in front of me. And I looked at her amazing, beautiful amber eyes. And as I stared into her eyes, they suddenly morphed and became one huge third eye, a huge third eye. It was amazing. I was completely surprised. I've never had that happen before. And and then from her third eye, she beamed. Like It was like she beamed knowledge or wisdom or, or understanding into me. It was like I felt this all coming through. And at the end, there was a flash of light. And the light went into my heart. And I woke up knowing that we are all made from light. Yeah. 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 I mean, that is awesome. And I can only tell you what, what, what came to mind intuitively. Yeah. I mean, who knows for sure. But when I was kind of opening to that space and, and trying to tune into it, what came to mind is that in, in Buddhist languaging, um, when you're working with these dimensions of the dream arena, you're working with Sambhogakaya, which is this marvelous radiance, literally called the, the body of bliss. And it's a it's a, the first level of form, um, you know, using like the, the death teachings or the Bardo teachings, where the white light, and this the, the way you say it and the language you said here is really interesting to me. That um, and again, using the language that speaks to me. Yeah, yeah. This white light and being in the waiting room to me would be analogous to the the archetypal deity, uh, which is Vajrasattva, who is always depicted as radiant white. And that radiant white represents perfect purity. And it also represents the primordial light at the highest dimensions of the Sambhogakaya before it becomes refracted through the prism into the five lights, um, what are called the the five Buddha families and from which therefore everything arises. And so what, again, who knows if this is what what is actually taking place, but this is simply what comes to my mind is that that you're you're in the waiting room of manifest reality where you're at this archetypal dimension where this Mm -hmm. fundamental purity, white light uh, really represents that um, kind of pre-temporal, pre-spatial, ultimate purity before, again, in the waiting room, just before it manifests into, into more reified form. And the fact that this was kind of transmitted to you by a being, whether it's Vashasattva or if it's feminine, it would be what's called Prajnaparamita, you know, the mother of all the Buddhas. I, mm. I, I mean, that's what comes to my mind. And it makes, yeah. it makes a great deal of sense because when you're returning to the bedrock of reality, just as you've been intimating, Claire, you're returning to a bed of light. And, and that light, in fact, that is what the world is made of. Yeah. And when, exactly. and when you experience that in a de-reified way in the dream state, in a very real way, you're, you're getting to the source, like you said. And it feels like that, doesn't it? It feels like a homecoming. Yeah. It feels oh, like gosh, you're, yeah. Absolutely. You're, you're returning to something so foundational 
Yeah. It really feels like the Wizard of Oz, you're clicking your heels and you're finally returning yeah. to a place like home. Um, and, and this is what people, um, sorry, I just wanted to say, like in near-death experiences, when people enter the light, they talk about that same feeling you've just mentioned, like homecoming, like, oh, thank goodness. It's almost like a feeling of like, oh, this is total bliss. I'm back here again. And I, I feel whole, you know, it's just a gorgeous, amazing feeling. And again, the power of right view, because if you actually have that view, then in fact, talk about transforming obstacle into opportunity, the ultimate nightmare arguably is death, <laughs> ultimate darkness. Yeah. If you realize that in fact, tucked within that is this radiant, blissful light, peaceful, literally exactly. uh, you know, peaceful white light. And therefore yeah. you can transform arguably the greatest obstacle and the greatest opportunity by realizing you have so much to look forward to. And, yeah. and nightmare, nightmare principle, in this case, represented literally in the Buddhist tradition, you know, death is referred to as the dream at the end of time. Well, it doesn't have to be a bad dream. It doesn't have no, to be exactly. Bad, right? It can be a good dream. We can change the script. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that's totally what the Bardo Yoga traditions do. And it's really why I got into dream yoga, because my my first exploration was in the deep study of death. And I re kind of retrofitted because the death, the, the death uh, literature kept talking over and over about how dream yoga prepares you for death. And I said, geez, maybe I need to learn something about dream yoga. So I actually used my study of death to, to lead me to dream yoga and to lucid dreaming. And um, everything wow. you're saying here is just completely resonant. And the other thing I wanted to say, Clara, that, that really come to, came to my mind as well along these lines, yeah. indeed, in the Tibetan Book of the Dead, coming back to this, the issue of de-reifying, one of the most powerful repeated statements in that book is emptiness cannot harm emptiness. That if you understand the, mm -hmm. the dreamlike nature of whatever arises, you realize that nothing has the power to adversely affect you unless you give it that power yeah. unless you confer that power upon it and so yet again once more and it's because we are all one as you say you know it's, it's we are all one so in in a sense when we experience that oneness there's nothing there's nothing to be scared of because that is part of us that is who we are on the fundamental level uh, so it's it's about waking up to that oneness and that's how lucid dreaming or dream work in general can really help us just to to bring that greater awareness into our lives i mean it's uh, it's just wonderful to welcome that absolutely and it's only terrifying for what for the fully formed ego because there's yeah. there's no place for personal identity in this space that storyline doesn't have any traction in this space right. so the fear only comes about if you're inappropriately referring that experience to this thing called ego so if you don't refer yeah. it and just simply be it then in fact it becomes the bliss that it really is, right? Yeah, you transcend the ego. <laughs> what a relief. What a relief. Yeah. <laughs> the ego yeah. is not happy about it, but <laughs> like it's like Mark Epstein says, you know, he says awakening Buddhahood is the ultimate getting over yourself. Which I think right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's true. That's very true. <laughs> oh, I really enjoy, I always really enjoy hearing your your Buddhist perspective, Andrew. I just think it's just so interesting because there are so many overlaps as well with uh, with my 
own experience that I that I've had. And um, you know, I, I wanted to ask you about another dream. Do we have time for oh, this? Absolutely. Oh, totally. so, oh, great. Because this involved um this involved Buddhism as well. And uh, so it, what, what happened was I was on a kind of flying carpet and I was flying really, really high up in the stratosphere. And I looked down and I could see the earth through the clouds. I was super high up. And then I realized, oh, I'm dreaming. Amazing, where am I going? It's like a kind of flying machine or a flying carpet. How fantastic. And I was looking down, seeing all these waterfalls. And I thought, I wonder where we're going. And then in the distance, I saw what looked like a floating land and there were loads of clouds around it. I thought, wow, okay, a floating land. That seems to be where we're headed. As we approached the, the floating land, I could see these Buddhist monks wearing orange robes. Um, and I thought, okay, maybe this is a holy place. Um, and then we landed, it, it sort of landed like a sledge. The clouds were a bit like snow. So we came to a, a halt. And then I realized, wow, this is not a floating land. This is a huge mountain. It's such a big mountain that it's coming right through the clouds. And I, I got off the magic carpet or whatever it was, and I realized that um, there were other people there and they were not wearing shoes. Um, so I took my shoes off uh, out of respect because it was clearly a holy place. And there were kind of pilgrims going up the very summit of this incredibly high mountain. It was a green summit, very live. And I said to someone, um, what is this place? And he said, this is Mount Kailash. And yeah. I said, oh, and I, I thought, oh, Mount Kailash, that's an actual mountain. I, I was trying to place it. And then someone else who was passing said, ah, but it's also called, and then he said a different name. And I said, oh, so it's not Mount Kailash. And he said, no, no, it just has these two names. And I said, I said, oh, he said, yeah, it's one and the same thing. And I said, okay. And then I started to walk up in a spiral with these other people to the very, very top of the mountain on this green grass. And I could feel the grass under my bare feet. It was just a, an amazing, very, very real lucid experience. And it was a, a feeling of homecoming. It reminded of me of where I grew up uh, on Dartmoor in England, just so gorgeous and this intense light all around and incredible beauty. And so after that dream, I quickly like looked up Mount Kailash and, and uh, found out it does have two names. One is a spiritual name, Mount Meru. And yep. it's holy to Hindus, Buddhists, and Jains as well. The Axis Mundi, the cosmic yep. axis. So yep. I'd love to hear your take on what that dream uh, was showing yeah. me. Oh, totally. Oh, my gosh, this is so fun. I, I just love <laughs> it. It's fun, isn't it? <laughs> I, oh, so, I get so inspired by hearing dreams of this nature, you know, coming from a real artist of the dreamland. Again, what immediately <laughs> came to mind intuitively, and when you said it, it was you confirmed it, was you were you were um, traveling to a pure land, and the, these pure lands, Mount Kailash represents the, the actual the, the pure land of um, Chakrasambara, um, who's one of the great Samogakaya deities in Tibetan Buddhism, and, and also, like you said, this this is a, a dimension also used by other traditions, Mount Meru, literally the center of the, of the cosmos. But yeah. fundamentally, even before you said that, as I was just resting into the space. You were you were traveling to a pure land, and, and interestingly enough, in dream yoga, and I, I have had a little experience around this myself in my really long retreat, where the mm. one of the in fact it's one of the highest stages of classic dream yoga is is creating as as you know, Claire, you know, special dream body, which is yeah. the version of an out of body experience, 
And so what, what lands with me on that is exactly what, what you were saying, that you were somehow using this dream to travel to the pure land of Chakrasambara, Mount Kailash. And everything that you say about it is completely resonant with these pure land descriptions that, um, you know, they're, they're marvelous mm. dimensions. Um, again, there's a whole array of these types of pure lands. They have all kinds of different classifications and names and whatnot. But Mount Kailash is one of the most beautiful. And mm. if you've ever seen pictures of it, you know, the top of it is exquisitely white. It's a fantastically beautiful place. And in fact, my dear friend, let me share one story here around this that may be of some interest to you. Mm. My dear friend, Bob Thurman, who I've been teaching with somewhat um, recently, regularly, mm-hmm. he shared a story. We actually, we did two programs on Pure Lands together. And in one of, in one of the weekends, uh, the, the one on Tantric Pure Lands, he shared this most amazing story. He said he was doing a pilgrimage around, um, he was doing Kora, which is circumambulating Mount Kailash, which is a wow. fantastic, you know, it takes... I think three days or so to walk around the entire thing. And he he shared the following story. Um, he said, you know, the first night he was at the ground there, he was he was camping, it was cold, and and he was sleeping in his tent alone. And, and all of a sudden, um, just as he was dozing off, his tent was just flooded with all this light. Mm-hmm. And and he said, ah, you know, he closed his eyes and the light was still there. And he goes, ah, you know, who the hell's got there? Um, <laughs> flashlights pointing at <laughs> and, and he, he he kind of hung in there for a while and finally he bundled up and he stepped outside you know ready to complain and there was nobody there yeah, yeah. the tent the light was coming through the ground claire and it was wow. illuminating his tent um <gasps> from you know from the wow. so-called physical earth and so yeah, this is this is uh, amazing yeah this is a special dream body that in fact one of the things you do in in dream dream yoga is FedEx your consciousness to these pure lands as a way to receive teachings or sometimes actually just going to the pure land in and of itself is a teaching. And so another thing I love so much about your work is I, before I even met you, as I was reading your stuff, especially about the lucid light and all that, I said, oh my gosh, Claire is talking exactly about what the Buddhists refer to when they talk about clear light mind and so yeah, exactly. Yeah, and again, you have another, and I think it's fantastic because you know nobody has a patent on reality on these dimensions. You know, right? Exactly. It makes it really even more kind of interesting, doesn't it, to see how this intersects? You know, that although kind of you know, I, I'm, I mean, I know a bit about Buddhism, but I'm certainly, you know, I'm not kind of like you are. You're totally into it, so it doesn't explain me kind of having that dream. Like I've never sort of thought, oh yes, I want to try and fly to Mount Kailash in a dream, you know, for some some religious reason or. or you know what I mean? It's like, Absolutely. it's not like that. And yet these things are happening. Yes. And, and I find it very, very interesting for that reason. Um, and I've, I've had these uh, experiences as well with uh, within the, the Hindu tradition that I've been brought teachings um, from from sort of, yeah, sort of yoga gurus in my dreams. They've come to me uh, without without me particularly, you know, inviting it. It's just happened. And I, I find this really, really interesting because... It, it kind of confirms everything. And I do feel that um, Tibetan Buddhism is uh, the religion that seems to get it the most, for sure. I mean, it, I resonate with it so much on my experiential level. This clear light experiences that I call the lucid light, you know, but it's the same thing, of course, yeah. you know. Um, and, and just having these experiences of 
utter bliss and you know this sacred mountain that just I was just sort of I, I just flew there. I didn't know where I was going and that's where I ended up. And I, I just think it's amazing. Uh, so I love talking to you because you then give me the, the, the Buddhist perspective on it, which is great. Uh, absolutely. And, and, and all, again, I love hearing about it because it shows the kind of transcultural, you know, you don't, mm. I mean, you don't have to exactly. be a Buddhist or a Hindu. Exactly. Anybody yeah. with a mind and a heart can experience yeah dimensions and, and for me I, I think it's also inspiring for our listeners when they realize just the potentialities the natural resources that are available to us each and every single night when we fall asleep that these vast yeah. wonders of the natural mind are there waiting for us and yeah. so the other thing it would be interesting to see because you know the the um, the great Oneironauts, um, or as Bob Thurman calls them, uses the term psychonauts. Not only do they travel, can we travel to these to these pure lands, to these um, highest dimensions of of samsara, and then even beyond, because Mount Kailash is beyond that. But somewhat in the line of of the nightmare um, vector for today is you can also then travel into the hell realms. You can also then travel into these kind of subterranean dimensions where mm. you can then work with actually bringing light into those dimensions. And so it's, it's not just a, a purely one-way street into these dimensions of perfectability. Yeah. You can also, with facility, travel into these other domains. In fact, there are many teachers, when they, when they make aspirations to death, Sometimes I, I've heard stories, you know, students will ask, oh, where, where, where are you making aspirations? Where do you want to be reborn? Are you going to be reborn in, in Sukhavati or Rakanisha, one of the Pure Lands? And sometimes masters will say, no, 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 not at all. I, I want to be reborn in the lowest of the hell realms so that I can be of the greatest benefit. And so wow. this is another array of potentiality within our dreams that therefore, again, when you become equipped with exactly what we're talking about, you can enter these dimensions that are no longer just within your mind, so to speak. You're, you're mm -hmm. actually entering into domains of reality that are just as unreal or real as this. And when you realize that emptiness cannot harm emptiness, then you can in fact go to these lower realms, in this case, um, you know, using this vector of nightmare, into the darkest, darkest, most shadowy dimensions of mind and reality and bring light. And I, I say that because I want to bring it back to the theme of your wonderful book that in a very real way, you know, that is what you're doing, right? You're <laughs> stepping into these hell realms and bringing the light of your, of your experience and your wisdom to illuminate yeah. for all beings, right? I mean, yeah. And, and the, the weird thing about that book is so many people said to me, Claire, why why are you writing a book on nightmares? You know, uh, people who've have met me in person sort of saying you seem sort of so light. You know, I've got quite a light energy, um, and I sort of bounce around, and I'm pretty childlike <laughs> as well. You know, and uh, they're like, you seem so joyful. <laughs> why are you writing a book on nightmares? And and it's just. <sighs> Because it, it makes sense. I think it makes sense that I write this book on nightmares because even though it was a very difficult book to write, um, I, I understood, I understood like how to take all these very difficult stories, these nightmares, traumatic situations, um, 
and sort of channel them into the book uh, in such a way that people were able to share their trans transformational stories. Um, it was a very difficult job for me to kind of try and honor all these different nightmares and, and sort of order them. I mean, you know, you're a very experienced author. It's, it's quite hard to get the material organized within itself, but it felt a real honor to, um, to take people's sadness and fear and the dark parts of their psyche and and work with it in a transformative way it felt like pure alchemy you know there was this raw material from these nightmares and and it it was transformed in this book that's why it's called the art of transforming nightmares because there are so many transformational stories within there because i want to bring hope to the world and i want people to understand their full glorious potential and that they can create change in their lives and they don't have to be victims of their nightmares either when they're asleep or when they're awake uh, i hope people will really grasp it, that they can empower themselves on every level and grow stronger in confronting their fears. Absolutely. And I have to say, Claire, I think it's one of the things that makes you unique that, you know, this, this query from the person about why you would engage in this type of work. Well, to me, it just um, points more to the authenticity of what you're actually doing. Because again, I mean, my riff on this, my little jingle is that, you know, the real spiritual work is not about feeling good. It's mm -hmm. about getting real and getting yeah. real means dealing with this so-called muck and mire. And so therefore, yeah. in fact, you don't do exactly. that. Exactly. That makes total sense. It really is. Yeah. yeah. Then, you run, then you run the risk of spiritual bypassing and, and just feeling, mm -hmm. oh, I just want to, you know, do the love and light and bliss thing. Well, that's all fine. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, why not try to find the love and light and the bliss in what we would um, normally talk about is is really horrific, painful experiences. You know, why not bring that light, yeah. unearth that light? And that's when it does the most good, because that's when we need it the most. There are so many people who are who are desperate and they feel that they are in darkness and they can't see a way out. So that that's exactly where we need to to bring this illuminating practice, like helping people to to work their way through this and understand their own their own massive, enormous, amazing, wonderful potential. You know, exactly. that's the exactly. hope. Yeah. And so as we slowly start to wind this up, I want to return to just a couple um, things about your book that I, I found so, so helpful. One is for you to comment about, you know, one of the real strengths of this book are all these practices. There are, I don't know, 40, 50, they're amazing. And they're so practical. They're so helpful. This is, a, I'm sure, a slightly difficult question for you. But if you had to pick two or three like what, you know, Nintig heart essence practices mm -hmm. that you could share with us out of this vast array. Uh, I'm curious yeah. um, which ones come to mind that, that we can um, give, you know, practical tools that we can give to our listeners before we close up. Yeah, well, straight off, I would say the lucid imaging nightmare solution, um, which is a, a lucid dream play practice you can use as soon as you've woken up from a nightmare. Uh, and it's uh, obviously it's all explained in the book, but kind of to summarize, you go back into that nightmare knowing that you have all these amazing options. Um, you can ask a question, you know, why are you chasing me? You can um, surrender, you can do magic, you can send love and light, you can escape, call for help, offer a gift, 
all of these things. And you go back and you find the nightmare solution that resonates with you. And in doing that, you're not only training your mind to understand there are different possible solutions, which is in itself empowering, but you also achieve resolution and you understand the message of the nightmare and you can unwrap its surprising gifts. Um, so that's the lucid imaging nightmare solution, which is also a lucidity practice um, because at the end, then you can imagine yourself becoming lucid in a dream as you drift back into sleep. Um, and then I would also say a protection practice is a really good thing. Yeah, um, for nightmares and for waking life. Um, so the one I really love, uh, I call it the egg of light. So it's just when you imagine yourself surrounded by this beautiful protective egg of light can be light of any color that feels right for you. And you can bring into that egg of light, you can bring even more protections, you can bring strong helpers, you can bring your power animals, if you have animals that help you in your dreams, um, you can bring, uh, you know, make a kind of really strong, beautiful shield around you and know that you are safe. And I've been teaching this 21 day course, Andrew, I was telling you about to over 5,000 people. I mean, so many people all taking one course and they loved this egg of light protection. And immediately it started being reflected in their dreams. They were reporting, oh, I started to have a really scary dream. And But in the dream, funnily enough, I, I realized that I was safe and that I was protected. And so it didn't turn into a nightmare in the end. And this is how fast we can incorporate these techniques into our dream life. And it works as well in waking life to help us feel protected um, Protected if we're in a, a situation with someone who is aggressive or uh, just kind of has an energy that we don't really want to, to engage with too much, uh, that we fear it's going to make us feel bad, um, we can send out that protection just to ease the situation. Because as I said earlier, when we change our energy by feeling safe, protected, able to listen to that person more calmly, then that changes the whole energy of the encounter. And so the whole of life kind of frees itself up a bit. It's um, it's very beautiful. So those are two things. Um, and I also love doing um, work with power animals. So I have all sorts of um, techniques um, to invite powerful animal guides into our life. Um, and one of the things that I've recently created is a course, a yoga nidra course. It's an audio and video course. And on that uh, course, which I also teach live to, to students, we welcome these power animals and these guides in a very relaxed uh, state of consciousness. So like deep relaxation and we bring them in. We allow them to manifest in whichever way they want to. So it's very spontaneous as well. And then we can really bring these powerful resources, these powerful guides and protectors into our life on all levels of awareness. And that, again, in itself is extremely um, empowering for people. So those are, those are just three kind of off the top of my head. But one thing about the book um, is it has a nightmare quiz. <laughs> so yeah. you can go through the quiz and you find out, you know, what kind of a nightmare um, sufferer are you? What kind of a dreamer are you? And there are all these different categories and I've created 15 nightmare solution programs for the main kinds of sleeper and dreamer so are you an out-of-body traveler or an insomniac or a traumatized dreamer um, uh, 
a lucid void visitor, a spiritual dreamer, health challenge sleeper, you know, all these different categories. And then um, that's to help you also fast track yourself to the nightmare practices that are going to be the most effective for you personally. So that's, yeah, that's basically my, that was my aim for the book to make it practical and easy to, to use. Yeah, I think that, that's again, the, the wonderful juxtaposition of heaven and earth where you, you create this really beautiful, elegant view and then you bolt it into practicality with these amazing um, exercises, the, the <laughs> quizzes, the investigations, which is really empowering. You know, you, you're, you're leaving with people, you're leaving people with just tremendous skill set that they can use like on the spot. I hope so. I hope it will help people for sure. <laughs> yeah, I, well, it's helped me. I mean, I, I thought the book was fantastic. The, the, this, the really challenging section where you talk about symbolisms and dream interpretations, always so difficult to do that. But yeah. <laughs> the way you, you very skillfully, gracefully uh, unpack some of the classic images that are associated with, with nightmares. And I resonated so strongly with that book. Um, oh wow! So, oh, thank you, Andrew. That's lovely to hear. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a tour de force. It's a really marvelous tome that will bring benefit to many. And so, Claire, as as we really close this thing up, um, how to find you? Tell us a little bit about your your current activities. How to reach you via your website, um, your courses, programs like that, so people can learn more from you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so my website is deeplucidreaming.com. And um, yeah, I give I give some live courses. Uh, the next one is Transformative Lucidity in June. And I've got Deep Lucid Dreaming coming up uh, probably in September, I think. And uh, But I also have my video courses. I'm starting to do video course creation. So I've got Yoga Nidra for lucid dreaming, healing, and blissful sleep. And there's the dream yoga one as well, which is also a very similar kind of format with videos and these yoga nidra guided lucid dream meditations, um, kind of specially prepared to, to help people to enter lucid dreams directly. So wake induced lucid dreaming. So that, that's kind of what I've been doing recently. And my website's got lots of articles and, and so on that you can explore. And yeah, but thank you. It's been so lovely to speak to you, Andrew. It's always really exciting <laughs> to yeah. talk about dreams together <laughs> oh i know i always learn so much from you i get so inspired same here same here from you yeah. your remarkable dream life it's it really is an inspiration to me so um big deep bow from across the pond um so great <laughs> same to you, to you. <laughs> with us i look forward to your future work your future contributions because you're really you're really doing some marvelous things in the world so thank you so much dear claire for um, engaging in this conversation with us and all the thank best you, Andrew. we'll meet in the dream world okay yes we will meet in the dream world thank you for everything you do you're a star thank you all right Claire all the best bye all the best well that's it for today thanks for joining us and again a special thanks to Dr. Claire Johnson for the second interview and for sharing her remarkable research and insights with us. If you enjoyed this episode as usual, be sure to check out all the other offerings on Nightclub these days. There's a lot happening. Until next time, pleasant dreams. <laughs>